All right, well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you all. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. What's up, Victor? I see you back there. He's waving at me all big, so I have to say hi like that. It's good to see you. Um, I'm really glad to be here today for many reasons. Uh, most of you guys know the last... Um, no, literally, I was counting because I didn't want to over-exaggerate. I can embellish stories with the best of them. And I was going to tell you guys that I've spent more than a month in quarantine. But I counted all the days. It's actually not true. It's only been 28 days, which is still a lot. And so, you know, from contact tracing to getting sick. But, huh? That's true. So it is a month if, if it was February. But it's not February. But that's okay. From contact tracing to getting sick and thinking it was COVID, but it not being, and then actually eventually getting it, um, it's been a long time being in quarantine. And um, I think God has a sense of humor that our current sermon series is called God Puts the Lonely in Homes, or other translations, God Puts the Lonely in Families. And the reason why this has been our sermon series is we know the last couple years have had very many effects of isolation for us in various ways. And that's certainly something that I've experienced now three separate times over the past couple months. And so um, by this time, I'm very familiar with um, everything that exists on Netflix um, because I've been home for a while. And one show in particular that really caught my attention, it's like relatively new, this is probably just me, I don't think anyone else has watched this, but there's a show called Battlefish. And it's about the albacore tuna fishing industry up in the state of Washington. And I was like, this is really cool. There was eight, like, almost hour-long episodes, and it just kind of is a documentary of all the fishing boats that go out and, like, how many fish they have to catch to, like, you know, make their, make their season profitable and how easy it is to, like, they would show the ones who were really successful and they would show the ones who just had horrendous seasons who may have to just, like, give up their fishing business. And, you know, when you're in quarantine and you're by yourself for a while, these are the effects of being alone, you can start to kind of, like... I don't know, just like get a little bit delusional because I was watching the show and I was thinking, I could be an albacore tuna fisherman. Like I could do this. Like, you know, like it, it looks hard and yeah, I'm scared of the water and I don't swim that well. And they're like out in the middle of the ocean, like a hundred miles offshore. But I was thinking like, yeah, I could, I could do this. And I think partially it was just the delusion of being in quarantine for so long. But the thing that I really liked about it was I was watching like the, the boats that did really well. And they would have to work on their, their kind of their system. And they would have to really get it down to like, you know, like if I caught like one albacore tuna in my life, like, cause I've made like tuna sashimi from a friend who sent us a, like one slab and it was like, oh, that was really good. And there was a lot of it. But when you think about how many fish they have to catch to be profitable, it's a lot. And so their system, like watching the different methods of how to catch the fish and how to make it profitable, it was pretty cool. And I thought, man, it would be really cool to be like a part of a team like that where you see the bond and the relationship between like the different boat members trying to be successful. I really don't think I could be an albacore tuna fisherman, but 28 days in quarantine will make you start to believe things like that. And so given that I have felt like very isolated at diff these different times of being in quarantine, the really strange thing about this season for me is that right in between quarantines two and three, I was healthy enough and all the details worked together where I got to go on our Mexico mission trip with our youth group, where 11 of us went down to Mexico. Yeah, we can clap for that, it was great. 
All right, I appreciate it, Melissa. You weren't even there, that's fantastic. And so I wanted to start with this one verse that really um, encapsulates our message today because we have started part two of our series, God Puts the Lonely in Homes, by talking about how God brings us into a new community. And in three different quarantines where I'm mostly by myself, I mean, there's Zoom meetings and ways to interact with people virtually, but in this one week that we were in Mexico, and we will share more about this this Friday, you, are, you guys are all invited to come and hear about our trip. Uh, this Friday at 7.30, we'll be in the sanctuary, and the team will be sharing about our trip. This verse from the Psalms really captures what I feel like we were able to experience together while we were there. And I think it helps us understand what this new community is that we get to be a part of because of who God is. And in Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And so in the midst of lots of quarantine experiences, I feel like the seven days we got to spend together in Mexico, I really got to experience this to like a really amazing and encouraging and powerful degree. And so normally when I've gone on the Mexico trip, I always like going and you'll hear a share more about it on Friday and we can explain the reasons why. But this was the time out of all the trips I've gone on, and there's been many, where I really didn't want to go home when it came to the end. Normally, I'm like looking forward to sleeping in my own bed, not having like someone else's cell phone fall down from the top bunk above me each and every night, and like sharing a room with five other people. Usually at the end of the trip, I am ready to go back home and be like back in my own comfort. But this time, I really think and it's probably related to the fact that we couldn't go the last couple of years and our last you know, several years of being stuck in our homes made this trip seem like that much more special. But I really also think it's because we got to experience what it was like to dwell together in unity. And so um, if, if we go to the, um, our theme verse for this series, Psalm 68, 5 and 6, uh, we're going to talk about this a bit more as we get going, but it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. This has been our theme verse for the last several months, and part one of our series that lasted a long time that we're going to kind of talk about a little bit today is how God brings, he meets our loneliness by bringing us into a relationship with himself. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, having a relationship with God that we, can all, we are all able to have because of his love for us, because of the death and uh, sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ means we can experience God with us. But part two is that we then also get to see how we can be a part of a new and different community. And last week, as we started part two of our series, Daniel talked about what it means to be an imitator of God. If we are a part of this new community, then what are the marks of a community that is unified in Jesus Christ? And if we are really uh, talking about Christian community, really what today's message is about is this. You cannot have Christian community without Christ. You can't have a Christian community without Christ. There are many things that might bond us together from a community sense. But if it is not focused on Jesus, it is not a Christian community. We're an educated people here in Silicon Valley. We know our logic. That should make sense to us. And so we're going to ask ourselves, what does it look like? Now, we're going to be looking at, over the coming weeks, different characteristics of the body of Christ and this new community that helps us experience true relationship. 
And today we're going to talk about three um, very, uh, I think, well-known parts of what Christian community could be about. But I realized for myself, in seeing how different my life was in quarantine and how different it was this one week in Mexico, it's not because of the location, it's not because of the circumstances, but perhaps the reason why I felt this amazing and encouraging experience of unity is because the days are focused first and foremost on Christ. And it's made me ask myself, are my days like that at home focused in the same manner? And so these are three, these are not the only characteristics of a Christian community, but if we're saying you cannot have a Christian community without Christ, I want to look at three words that are going to be very familiar to us that help describe what a Christian community looks like. We're going to look at other aspects of it in the coming weeks, but today we want to talk about these three things. We want to talk about the importance of grace, sacrifice, and truth. And how these are three, they're not the only three, but they're three very important marks of what it looks like to be a community that is centered on Christ. So first, what do we mean by grace? And this is where I said we we spent so many weeks uh, talking about the relationship that we have with God. Part one of our series was how does God meet us in our loneliness? He brings us into a relationship with himself. And you could say there are powerful um, characteristics of a relationship or within a friendship that kind of build community or build a closeness between one person and another. What is it about what God has done that makes our relationship with him so powerful? And I wanted to share a verse that we've talked about several weeks back, but this comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And really, if we're going to say a Christian community is focused on Christ, because that's the main part of that first word that describes the community. What is it that Jesus has done for us? Now, if you've grown up going to church, you've probably heard about the idea that Jesus Christ laid his life down for you in a a very wide variety of ways that's been described. And yet, when I think about how easy it is for me to forget this truth, I think that's why we want to talk about it once again. Romans 5 is very powerful because it shows how deep the love of God is. We live in a world where I think it's very easy to operate from the sense of, you know what, I can love someone if I see a reason for it. Like if they've shown some ability to love me or it's like someone that like I want to get to know deeper or whatever, then we're like, well, maybe then I can take the steps to love them. But how deep does God's love go? It's not, it's not contingent upon whether we've followed him. It's not contingent on whether um, we've believed in him, but God has made a way for all of us to come to know him. Why? Because even when we, in our sin and in, in a moment where we may be enemies with God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life for us. And Paul says this very powerfully in the book of Romans in chapter five. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is what grace is all about. It's, I really believe it's the opposite of the way that our world thinks about many things where we will give love if we've received love in the first place. But Jesus took the first step in initiating a relationship with fallen man by dying on the cross for our sins so that we might be able to be forgiven. It's not that we've proved ourselves worthy to be able to, uh, to be worthy of the sacrifice, but Jesus reverses this. And while we were at our worst, God still loves us. 
Um, I'm thankful for uh, Daniel's dad, Fred, Fred Gilliam. Many of you know him, and we meet with him as we prepare our sermons on most weeks, and he's been a huge mentor for me. And um, when he talks about grace uh, and the definition of grace, Fred, you know, big, giant brain. He's read everything theological, knows the Bible inside and out. And because he's so smart, he likes to come up with his own definitions for things, you know. But when he talks about the concept of grace, he says grace really comes down to it's the person who goes first. It's not reactionary to something else that's happening. But I think if I were to couple like what I've learned from Fred over the years and try to like put it into a definition for what the word grace means, it really comes down to taking the initiative to love first. And that's what God has done for us by sending his son, Jesus, to this earth so that we might be able to experience this. And this may seem like something we've heard many times, but if we're going to talk about what a Christian community is, and it's a community that is centered around Christ, we have to first remember what Christ has done for us. And I know for myself, I need a refresher of that so often. And I'm so thankful for this verse in Romans because I find myself coming back to it that even when my day starts and I forget like all of God's goodness and I make my own decisions, I live my own way without even acknowledging that God is there, that he's made so many efforts and attempts to have a relationship with me that it doesn't change his love for me. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so first and foremost, if we're saying God meets us in our loneliness by bringing us into a new community, that community starts with what Jesus has done for us. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard this many times. If this is new to you, praise God, because hopefully it is making you think about what love is really defined by in our world. But that's the first mark of what really is a new community. It starts and it begins and ends with the grace of God. Now, we're going to talk about in points two and three how we get to experience that, and we're going to talk about it over the coming weeks. But really believing that God loves us that deeply, that it's not based on anything that we've done, but this is how much God loves people and wants to have a relationship with them, he made it possible through the death and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is so in in to pay the penalty of sin that we are all deserving of in the ways that we are human, we fall short, we wrong one another, we wrong ourselves. God is so gracious and he's made a way for us to know him because of the penalty of sin being paid on the cross by Jesus Christ. Now, if this is what Jesus did, and we're saying a Christian community has to be focused on Christ, how do we then put that into action and make that a a huge value within the community that we might be in? And so last week, as we talked about what it means, Daniel talked from Ephesians 5 verse 1 about being an imitator of God. And if we are in this new community that stems from a relationship with God, and this is what meets us in our loneliness, then what does it look like to be an imitator of God? And when you really think about the sacrifice of Jesus, it was not self-seeking, but it was focused on the betterment of others. Now, there's a lot more that goes into it, but really that leads us to our second mark of what a Christian community, a community that's centered around Christ is about, and it's really about sacrifice. And To imitate Jesus is to be able to ask ourselves, if God loved me so much that he sacrificed his only son. Now, obviously, we are not God. We are not the son of God. But what does it look like for us to imitate him for our lives to be marked by the same kind of sacrifice that Jesus' life did? 
And so that leads us to our second uh, mark of a Christian community for this morning, where we talk about sacrifice. To imitate Jesus is to be able to sacrifice with the same heart that he did. And obviously, we can't be exactly like him as he is the Son of God, but we want to follow his example as best as possible. Um, I love this verse in Hebrews that I think captures um, the idea of how joyful, uh, just how committed Jesus was to loving us. Let's read this in Hebrews chapter one, uh, or Hebrews chapter twelve. We're going to look at the first two verses. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, it is the encouragement from the author for people to see how Jesus is um, having a relationship with him is the best thing that we can possibly experience. And it's an encouragement for the church after Jesus has died and resurrected and the early church is starting and experiencing persecution. It's a a way for the, the brothers and sisters in the church that was experiencing challenges to persevere in what they were going through. You've heard us read Hebrews 12.1 many times during the quarantine. Why? Because we, as strange as it's been, we want to make sure we're continuing to meet together. But I, I read this verse in the context to where we can see the heart and the attitude that Jesus had um, when he gave his life for ours. So let's read starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is a very encouraging um, and, I think, exhortative verse, Um, and I'm reading it mainly so we see the context of verse 2. We could do a separate sermon entirely on that verse because it's really important, especially in the light of everything we've experienced in the last couple years. But I really want us to see the context of this encouragement to continue to meet together in light of what Jesus has done. And so how do we continue to meet together? It says this in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you've read the description of what it looks like when Jesus actually gave his life for ours, you know that it's brutal and gruesome. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that came out many years ago that details what it was like for Jesus to be crucified and how uh, violent and bloody it is because they wanted it to be a realistic depiction of what it looked like. How could it possibly be that there was joy that was set before him for him to be able to endure this? And the only answer that I can find to think about this is that's how worthwhile it was for Jesus to sacrifice his life for others. That he could go through the blood and the pain and the mockery and everything that went through it because his focus was on giving his life for others. Now, this was a very specific death that has very specific implications for our lives as believers in him. And so we're not... There are ways where we are called to, as, as the gospel writers say, to pick up our cross and follow him. And so, but our sacrifice probably isn't going to look exactly the same as Jesus because that was a one-time thing with huge effects because he was the son of God. We are not the son of God, but what we can ask ourselves is what does it look like for my life to be marked by sacrifice? And to sum it up, really what Jesus did is he lived for others and not for himself. And I think that is such a huge mark of what a new community, a Christian community, really looks like, where the focus is not on ourselves or what we need, but what we can do for others. 
And at its core, this idea of sacrifice, I think, is such a powerful mark of what it looks like to be in a Christian community. And this is why I think our trip in Mexico was so encouraging to me in being able to experience what does it really mean to dwell together in unity and experience like a type of community that's focused on Christ. If you think about what our days are like, if you've ever been on the Mexico trip, whether it was this year or past years, or if you've been on a mission trip in general, there is a goal. And the goal for that day is not whatever you want to experience as an individual, but what we are doing is we are surrendering that day to whatever is planned for us to go and serve in the community or to go and encourage someone else. And I think that is precisely why I enjoyed that week so much. It's like, it was so encouraging and so uplifting to not have to worry about myself what I need to plan for the day, what time I'm supposed to wake up. The schedule's all laid out, and like it or not, breakfast is at 7.30 a.m., and you need to be in the worship hall at 8.30 a.m., and there's a whole schedule that everyone's following. And for many of you, I've come to see that our church is not, uh, not filled with a bunch of morning people. 7.30 breakfast sounds absolutely crazy to many of you, and yet, when you are there, this is the schedule that is laid out that everyone, well, I mean, I think in theory you agree with. We had plenty of people who missed breakfast. Don't get me wrong. But the whole point is that each day is not a schedule that's made by you or by us or by me. It's a schedule that is filled with, what are we doing today? We are going to build roofs for families that are in need. What are we doing the next day? We are going to go to an orphanage to hopefully bless the kids who have really difficult lives um, to just be able to encourage them and play with them and make them the focus. To be a follower of Jesus Christ and to experience his example is to sacrifice, not in the exact same way, but the heart behind it is the same. And if you've experienced what it's like to truly bless someone else, I really believe that is the moment we are the least lonely in our lives because we're not worried about what we need for ourselves in that moment, but we're we're thinking about what can I do to care for someone else? And I really believe that is the power of the trip we experienced That's why right in the middle of many days of quarantine, that is why it was such an amazing blessing to me. Living life where it's like, okay, what am I going to do today? Stay in my room by myself. Everything in life is focused on me. And I realize that even when I'm not in quarantine, living here in Silicon Valley with smartphones and that can answer all our questions whenever we need to, and we have our own schedules for our jobs or our school or whatever we think is most important, it is so easy for us to have our lives marked by what am I doing today? What is my goal? But being there in Mexico for a week, it is what is our goal? And our goal is centered on loving other people. And I truly believe that's the best way we can live. Like, that's the way we're going to, like, actually start to address all of our own loneliness. Because when we stop thinking about ourselves for a moment and we start thinking about how am I going to bless someone else, life has so much more meaning. And that was something that I believe we really got to experience. Even, and it takes sacrifice. It takes waking up at hours that many of you guys don't wake up on if you went on this trip. But there's a purpose behind it. Why? It's to go and love other people. And that's what a huge mark of a Christian community is really about. Now, look, we're not going to be like Jesus where we physically go up on a cross and get crucified the way that he did. But we can capture the same heart that he had where his life was not about himself, but it was about loving others. 
And the more that I've experienced, I, I believe my life is a constant battle of trying to do whatever I want to do versus whatever God wants to do. But in many years of struggling through the, the tension that exists there, what I've learned over time and over a lot of pain is that when I am focused on what God wants me to do, I am so much happier. I am so much less lonely. I'm so much less worried about whatever anxieties fill my heart because I'm not the focus. The focus is loving others. That's what Jesus came to this earth to come to do. And fundamentally, a community that is Christ Christian, where Christ is at the center, it is to follow the heart of Christ, where to say my life is not about me, it is about loving and serving others. And it was such an, like, that's why I didn't want to leave, not because I didn't want to, like, you know, get out of sharing a bunk bed with Kenneth and, you know, hearing his music every night, keeping me awake, like, I actually can endure all of that, and I would go back and do it tonight if it meant, like, we were still experiencing another couple days of the trip. Why? Because it's so much better when our focus is on serving others rather than just thinking, what is my life about for today? And so really, sacrifice is such an important part of what it looks like to be in a Christian community. Now, um, how, how, do we, how do we actually start to believe this? And where's the wisdom that comes from so it's not just based on our experiences? And that's why I really want to focus on this last word for this message this morning. And that's to say that if a Christian community is one that is unified in Christ, yes, we want to follow his example and know what he was about and put that into action in our lives. But how do we truly find the wisdom to do that? And that's where we have to see that a Christian community, it's not all experience-based only, but it also has to be centered on the word and the wisdom and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so the last word we're going to focus on for this morning to think about what does this new community look like? It means being unified and being centered in God's truth. Now, what does that mean? There's, we read in God's word that Jesus sacrificed for us, that it was his joy to serve others, and it can be ours as well. But the, it is, an, it is an, another very important mark of a Christian community to be guided by Christ, his word, and his teachings, and to find the wisdom in that. How many times in the ministry of Jesus, when he was asked a deep question, and we are asking a lot of deep questions in our society today, how many times did Jesus respond with the words starting by saying, it is written, and pointing to the Old Testament scriptures, pointing to God's word that had been around for generations and generations? And that's because Jesus knew the heart of his father and knew the wisdom that comes alongside it as well. We are asking many questions that we perceive as hot topics or very relevant to our world today that we see in the news, that we see on social media over and over again. We are asking questions about abortion, about sexuality, about politics, and we have our own leanings, we have our own opinions, but what are they based on? And really, when we think about being a community that's unified in Christ, it's to also submit to the wisdom that we get to see in God's word, because that's also at the heart of who God is. And so when we form our own opinions about the diff difficult things we see in the news, deep down, if we are interested in truth, we really do have to ask ourselves, what are they based on? What are our political leanings or our opinions, like the things that we feel really strongly about deep down, what are they based on? Is it based on the social media person that we agree with the most or who sounds the best or makes the most sense? Is it about an opinion that sounds right to us? 
And really, I don't believe we could truly understand the significance of God's grace without also knowing his truth. And so we can't just take the parts of the Bible that we like, where Jesus loved us at our worst and sacrificed his life for ours. But then when there are topics that really we find our our heads butting up against, we say, well, I'm going to like that part of the Bible, but not this one. That's not how it works if we're going to be a community that's unified in God's truth. And we have to ask ourselves, whose word really matters? The one who gave his life for us and embodied the truest form of loving care? And hopefully when we think about what grace really is and the fact that Jesus really gave his life for us and enables us to make our lives not about ourselves but about others and to experience that joy, we can't have that without also understanding the truth and the wisdom that comes from his teaching and all of the teachings that he pointed back to that came from the word of God for generations and generations. And this is why in our church, when we study the Bible, whether it's on a Wednesday night Bible study or in youth group or even in the sermons that we preach, what is most important to us when we study the Bible is what is the author's intended meaning. And the author meaning the human author that was inspired by God, who was writing in those circumstances, it is not what do we think he meant. It's, uh, it's not what is our opinion of what we think he means, but what is it that he, why did he really write these words? What were the contextual circumstances? And what could God be saying through that? With God being the ultimate author that inspired all of these biblical authors that we study. And really, it, what it requires of us to actually love God's truth We need to understand how the word of God came to be, the history of how 66 books are considered the inspired word of God. That can be a separate sermon or a Bible study topic or if that's something you're ever interested because I think it's important for all of us if we're actually going to understand God's truth. It's something I know Daniel or I would love to discuss more. But knowing how reliable God's word actually is to give us truth in a world where things can be very, very subjective. And this is how a relationship with God becomes more than just our human experience, but it's also grounded in truth and also grounded in wisdom. And so God meets us in our loneliness by wanting to have a relationship with us and by placing us in this new community. But what happens when we don't embrace his truth? And I've seen this through many mistakes that I've made in in our lives. But there's a part of our theme verses that we've read many times over the last couple months that we haven't touched yet that we need to this morning to see how this is an important part of what it looks like for God to put the solitary in a home or the lonely in a home. If we look at the second half of Psalm 68, uh, verse 6, we see how it says, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Like this relationship with God helps us experience all of these blessings, but the second half is important for us to think about as well where it says, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And what that means is when we have our times where we butt our heads against God's truth and we say, God, I really can't like accept that this might be part of your truth. I want to go my own way. Then we're going to experience just whatever like comes from our own beliefs and going our own way and not trusting in his own wisdom that he provides for us. And what this is saying is that a true home, this true experience of relationship, it comes from knowing who God is and what he's about, but it also comes from knowing his truth and his wisdom as well. And that's what can actually help us believe that much more, that our lives are not meant to be about us, but about serving others. That's a truth that we see in the word, but there are many other forms of the truth that are important for us. And so a Christian community, like we see this sadly very often, 
in the American church, or just church in general, because we're broken and fallen people. But we see how easy it is for us to argue about our own opinion or about our own viewpoint without going back to the centrality of scripture and saying, can we, believe, can we go back to some common ground instead of arguing over our own opinions? And when we make our opinions stronger than what the word of God says, it really leads us to disastrous results. And God is so gracious that he will lead us out of those. I know I've experienced that in many ways, and there are still parts of his truth that I have to wrestle with and try to wrap my head around. And so there's always God being gracious that's always available to us, and yet it's also so important for us to love and embrace his word. And so one part of the Mexico trip that I was thinking about, that what made it so powerful for me, it was amazing to build roofs for families whose homes are falling apart. It was amazing to, we went to a rehab center where we got to hear the testimonies of um, a bunch of guys who have gone through a lot of things in life and are trying to better their life um, by living in a, uh, just in a sober living environment and just playing games with them and hearing their testimonies and just trying to get to know them. It was an amazing experience. And all of the things that we got to do in the community that you're gonna hear about on Friday were fantastic. The part of the day that was the most meaningful for me was that every day at about 9 a.m., we would go to the worship hall at 8.30, and then at 9 a.m., we would split into groups with the YWAM staff. YWAM's the organization we went with, and they would read, lead us in about a 15 to 30-minute devotion for that morning as a group. And so uh, in our group, there was about five of us and plus the YWAM staffer, and we would read the passage that they had picked for that day, not read it individually, but all be centered around that one passage. And I re really believe that set the tone for the day where subconsciously, I really think it helps us see, hey, you know what? Today, my life is not about myself. It's about the truth that I'm reading here, and not just about my understanding of it, but hearing the understanding from this person on my left and this person on my right, and being centered around that. If we really want to be a Christ-centered community, it looks kind of like that, where we have, we're not just only doing our own individual devotion, but we're saying, hey, how can we get together and read the word a little bit more and see how that might be changing and shaping our, our, the way we live our lives for that day? And it was such a blessing to start my life that day, to start my life each day in that way. And so then coming home and a day later testing positive, Probably the thing that I missed the most outside of like being able to like go get food whenever I wanted or see people or hang out with people, the thing I realized I missed the most was that 9 a.m. 15 to 30 minute devotion with other brothers and sisters. Why? Because we would all be centered around God's word for that moment and see how he might be speaking to us. To be a community that's centered around Christ means we also have to be centered around his word. Um... Something very strange happened during quarantine, um, and not early on. Um, but if you guys know me, you know that I like the idea of reading books, but I almost never read books. Now, this didn't happen early in the quarantine because of just my natural inclinations, but this is why I'm so thankful I serve with Daniel, because Daniel reads all the books and then explains what's in them to me, and then I'm like, okay, I can rationalize it. I don't have to read. I just talk to Daniel, and he helps me be a, a learned person and pastor. And, um, but on day 25, not quite the end, I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and read a book now. And part of it was because 
Day 25 was, uh, I think, uh, Monday, and I knew I would be preaching this week, and God willing, I'd be out of quarantine, and this is the, the topic we're talking about. Um, but this is a wonderful book that I would highly recommend. Um, it's very old. It's by uh, a famous Christian author named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's called Life Together. And it talks about what true Christian community is all about. Now, this man, I wish like he could come back and live for one day in our modern world, because this is what he said like decades ago about our attention spans when it comes to God's word. He said, it's strange that we can't sit through an entire chapter of the Old Testament and at least half a chapter of the New Testament each day. And he said that many years ago without all the technological distractions that we have now. And I thought, well, man, he's kind of proving a point if it took me 25 days to actually open a book during quarantine. But in reading that, I thought, man, like how, how small has my attention span for God's word become in the, the era that we live in? And how different was it when we started every day reading God's word together at 9 a.m. and having that set the tone for our day? I don't know what it looks like in our community. I've seen other churches, Daniel and I were talking about this, I've seen other churches do some kind of like 15-minute Zoom call at the start of the day just to read a verse together and see how that might change their day. Perhaps that's something we want to consider. We're still figuring it out. But what we got to experience in Mexico, I really believe changed the course of each day where we're starting each day by saying, I'm not centered on my schedule or what I think is most important, but I'm centered on what God wants to say to me through his word on that day. And to see like, and really I believe that is a huge factor in why I wish I was still there in that moment. But the whole lesson for me is not to compare why do I feel like life looks like that in another country and life looks that, like this here. What I want to learn from this is how can my life capture that same experience here, day to day, knowing that God has called me here for this season of my life. And I feel like I got to experience this um, in a very normal uh, part of my life. Every Wednesday morning, I read the Bible for what is scheduled to be an hour and a half with Auntie Rosa and Auntie Sue from the Chinese side. Uh, many of you probably had Auntie Sue if you went through Awana. Um, it was the beginning stages of your Awana because she's been serving in the cubbies part, you know, the youngest kids for years and years and years. And I think she's taught many of you. Um, but reading God's word with these two women who I would consider mentors for me has been very humbling. And I say that because what our schedule is, is we say we're going to meet together from 9 to 1030 every Wednesday on Zoom and read God's word. And um, if we actually end at 10.30, like scheduled this week, that will be the first time we've ever ended on time. And the reason for that is like, if we're on Zoom and I'm thinking like, this is really good conversation and I'm learning a lot and it's good to sit at God's word, but having the ADHD mind that I have, I'm also thinking like, okay, 10.30 is supposed to be the end time, so like, why can't we end at 10.30? But at 10.29, if someone reads a verse, then we're going to go back and we're going to look at all the context for at least 15 minutes and talk about it. And then we always close in prayer, which takes about five to 10 minutes more. And what I realized this week is I have the privilege of studying God's word with two women who just love and just cannot like imagine life without living under God's word and sitting at the feet of God's word and having that impact their life in the time that's set aside for it, yes, but if it goes over that, the importance of like really valuing that time together is so important to them. Like I'm very humbled by that. And I realize I can use more of that in my life.
And I really think that's the same experience that we got to have when we started each day with a group devotion every day at 9 a.m. on this trip. And so um, I shared with you that in watching this documentary about the Albuquerque fishing industry and seeing the, the teamwork that, um, that was there and for a brief moment thinking like, oh man, I could do this. I realized I was so enthralled by the idea of like, man, it looks like there's such a great team when there's one guy driving the boat and finding like the schools of fish and two guys throwing like the fishing lines out and someone with the like the gaff, the like spear kind of thing to like bring them over the boat and then get them down in the freezer immediately so you'll have the highest possible grade of sashimi. I was like, man, that is such a cool like, uh, ex like exhibit of teamwork and like togetherness and community. And then after I finished all eight episodes in one day, don't judge me, I was in quarantine, I had nothing to do. I thought about it and I was like, man, that would be something that would be really cool. And then I thought about the week I had spent previously where I thought, you know what? I have already experienced like the best possible like kind of characteristics of teamwork when we're up on someone's roof fixing it and then sharing food together and then worshiping God together in church on Sunday because there's something deeper about what it means to know who God is and to make that our focus and to serve others. And so to be a community that is marked by Christ, really what it looks like is to be like-minded in being around other people who have experienced the same grace of God. People who are like-minded in serving and sacrificing for others and people who share the same commitment to God's word. And that's what it looks like to be a Christ-centered community. Now, we're going to talk about other characteristics of it as well that I think are very important as our series is going to go throughout the rest of the month of July on this topic. But I want to close with the verse I opened with in Psalms 133, verse 1. And when we think about God's grace, when we think about what it means to sacrifice for others, when it, we think about what it means for us to be really, truly guided by God's word and his wisdom, I really believe we'll experience what the psalmist says when he says, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell together in unity. I think this is something we experience in many ways in our church. I think this is also something that I'm realizing I need to reshape my mind to be centered on Christ to be able to experience this more because of all the distractions we have in Silicon Valley, because of all the ways that life very easily in this day and age becomes about ourselves and not about others. And so I just hope that we can see the marks of what it looks like to be a community that's centered around Christ and that we can be able to experience the joy of that together. In today's current climate of uh, the number of cases going up, I am part of it. This is probably just because I've been behind my own desk for many weeks. It is amazing to see this many people show up to church today, and I'm just really blessed by that this morning. And so um, the more we consider these truths that we see here, we will get to see what a community that is centered around Christ is really about. We want to end our time by singing a song that talks about having our lives centered on Christ. And before we do that, if we can all bow our heads, I just want to give us a moment to, consider, to ask ourselves a couple questions. Um, in, in kind of in reflection of what we're talking about and what it means to be a community that's centered around Christ. And after we've thought about it a little bit, um, as the Spirit leads, uh, if you want to sing along with the, the, the lyrics that Enoch is going to lead us in, 
we can really sing about what it means to have our lives centered around Jesus Christ. But let's ask ourselves, what is the center of my life right now? And how might God be asking us to adjust that? And let's start by taking a brief moment to say thank you that we are saved by his grace. Not because we deserved it, not because we were at our best, but in our worst moments and being broken and and sinful people that God did not withhold his son, Jesus, that Jesus bore the whipping, the nails, the crown of thorns, all of the pain with joy because of his great love for us. And if we sit in the thanksgiving of what he's done for us, can we also ask ourselves, God, how can I have this same heart that you do where my life is not about my needs or my comfort or my desires, but it's truly about serving others? And can we also ask ourselves, God, would you help us experience your truth and your wisdom, especially in the areas of our lives that it might be hard for us to trust in God's word? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just your goodness to us, that you withheld nothing, but out of your amazing love and grace, that you wanted to know us, you wanted to have a relationship with us, so that you sent your only son, Jesus, to this earth, so that we might experience this amazing grace. God, would you show us how you might be leading us to surrender our lives to your word, to others, and that that might guide us and put you at the center of our lives. And so God, I just thank you for this time where we can at least have to wrestle with these truths this morning, but God, to see how serving others and serving you, God can bring so much joy, so much meaning, and so much, uh, God, authentic relationship that is based on unconditional love and God that can really meet us in our loneliest of moments. I pray that that would be our experience, that that would be so freeing for us. And so God, may we now sing a song of gratitude and a song of response that we might be able to put you at the center of our lives. We thank you for this time and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.